Hi, this is Steve Smith and Rich Young from Brian Cave Leighton Paisner, and welcome to our podcast. Today we're talking about anti-doping. Rich, uh, you have been for a long time the world's leading expert on anti-doping. What uh, are the hot-button issues that you see going on right now with uh, Tokyo? Um, well, thanks, Steve. There are a lot of people who would say that I'm okay, but not the world's leading expert. But So... Some interesting perspectives on doping and anti-doping at the games. When I first got involved in working in anti-doping 20, 30 years ago, uh, this is my perspective, that the IOC's view was that they didn't want any positive tests at the games because that would have a negative effect on sponsors and trust in the Olympics and all of that. In modern times, when we've come to realize that a certain number of athletes dope, their view has changed that if they don't catch some athletes doping at the games, it means that the anti-doping program isn't working. Just a very interesting paradigm shift. Another thing that's very different is the amount of pre-games testing. All of the international federations do extensive testing before the athletes go to the games. The National Olympic Committees do that because they don't want to send dirty athletes and bring disrepute on on their own country. And the IOC does a lot of pre-games testing. Um, Another change is the sophistication of the anti-doping system and the laboratories and how that plays into the games of cops and robbers. So an example, I was working for uh, World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, uh, during the Salt Lake Olympics. And I was listening to just a vignette on NBC talking about how in the in the fight between the cops and robbers, um, when it came to Darby Poitin, the robbers were way ahead because it was undetectable and it was known the European athletes were using it. So Darby Poitin is a form of EPO. EPO is a wonder drug in medicine. It it. Uh, Helps. It's naturally produced by the body, but synthetic EPO helps the bone marrow make red blood cells. So if you've got sickle cell anemia, it used to be you had to have transfusions. Now you can take EPO. And they since developed more wonder drugs that last longer, do different things and the like, and Darby Poitin was one of them. And I kind of chuckled when they said, we don't have a test for this because UCLA Laboratory was doing the testing at the Olympic Games, and I knew we did have a test for it. So the more they told the world that we didn't have a test, the more likely we were going to get a positive. And I got a call from the lab at about uh, 11 o'clock one night uh, saying, Rich, we got one. And it turns out they got three. They were high-profile athletes, two Russians and a guy with a German name who was uh, skiing for Spain. And 
I'll never forget the conversation. I, I said, well, how do we know? And he said, because I talked to the guy at Amgen who developed the drug, showed him the electropharogram from this athlete, and his words were, that's my baby. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, the level of sophistication uh, in the anti-doping program, the number of tests, the seriousness of the tests has really, really changed over the years. Great. Well, what do you say we uh, bring in our guest, Alan Abramson, and talk oh, a little more? That's great. So, Rich, we're really lucky to have joining us today Alan Abramson, uh, live from Tokyo, uh, for that matter. Uh, Alan, I just, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, thrill for me. I remember watching you years ago on TV and uh, uh, reading your columns in the L.A. Times and now Three Wire Sports. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if it was a thrill, but <laughs> thank you so much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> Uh, so we're talking today about anti-doping at the games, and you're on the ground in Tokyo. Uh, what are you hearing about latest developments in anti-doping and, and things that are going on there? Well, to be honest, uh, right now, for once, really for once, the anti-doping scene is is uh, on the back burner. Uh, the only doping that anyone's talking about is spitting into a tube for COVID. Uh <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's all anybody can talk about is COVID. I'm sure uh, there will be doping matters. So the, the only doping that's gone on so far is a, is a cocaine case involving an Australian equestrian uh, who, uh, shockingly, because the Australians are uh, up in your face about uh, doping all the time, uh, they're like, oops, we have a doping case. Uh, and uh, uh, he has been summarily uh Executed from the Australian team, so that that's the that's the doping scene from here right now. So, how about some of the uh, pre-games doping cases, uh, like Shikari Richardson? What's your well, take on on that great controversy? Well, I have written about Shikari at length. So, uh, where would you like to start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my take is that. She violated the rule. Uh, the rule is the rule. And uh, she knew with certainty what she was doing uh, when uh, she for sure inhaled. And uh, I think she has accepted uh, her sanction with grace. And I, I, um, uh, I think we can start there. And then I think we can go on to the... Uh, hypocrisy that's been shown by the United States government all over the place, if you'd like. Okay. Well, what do you have to say? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think it's, I think it's crazy that, uh, the United States government responding to, um, public pressure from, from, um, blue state advocates is now saying, let's review the rules when it's been the United States government that has, uh, that was at the outset. Uh, a proponent for including marijuana on the banned list. It's been USADA that's been a proponent for keeping marijuana on the list uh, all these years. And uh, if you recall, uh, at the beginning of President Biden's term, there were five staffers summarily dismissed from the White House for um, 
for weed violations. I mean, these sorts of things are just double standards all over the place. Uh, should uh, um, marijuana use uh, uh, be reviewed, uh, probably, but this is about as light a sanction as it's going to get. And we, we have to remember that 18 jurisdictions in the United States is not a reason to change a global standard. I mean, this is a substance that still subjects you to prison time here in Japan or in, say, Indonesia or, or other countries. And the United States is, is not the sole entity in the world that should be determining global anti-doping policy. I had some experience with that since I chaired the cast decision in Ross Rebliati in Nagano hmm. and uh, the entire lobby of the hotel room where we were having our hearing was filled with Japanese law enforcement when he tested positive for marijuana. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I think, I think in my experience with the world anti-doping code, USADA has not been a supporter of marijuana on the list, but, Clearly, the U.S. government has. That's They have been a major supporter, and you're right. The rest of the world isn't where our 18, 19 states are. Um, the, other thing, the other thing on the Richardson case that people seem to admit, everybody seems to focus on the 30-day suspension, but that isn't what's keeping her out of the Olympic Games in the 100 meters. The reason she can't run the 100 meters is whoever wins the Olympic trials runs the 100 meters, and her win was disqualified. Well, for sure. I mean, uh, immediately upon the positive test, she was DQ'd. Look, the, the other thing that I think people are not <clears throat> fully understanding is that uh, and I think you, uh, in particular, Rich, have some experience and understanding about this, and Steve, you do too, probably, is that the level of uh, marijuana or THC uh, metabolites in your system uh, has been substantially uh, increased. Uh, and um, it's not that she – we, we know – the race was on a Sunday. She she acknowledges that she used on Thursday. Um, if, if she were, uh, let's just speak about this in the hypothetical rather than saying Shakari. If one were to inhale on a Thursday and uh, compete, and since marijuana is an, uh, an in-competition substance, if if one hypothetically were to be a one-time user and inhale on Thursday and then compete on Sunday, then maybe your metabolite levels might be X. But uh, since the level is now 180, um, that would suggest that uh, whoever might be um, using that substance might well be using that substance with some recurring, if not regularity, might, might be using this substance uh, in a recurring fashion or with some regularity. And and that's, I think, something that's gotten lost in all the to and fro, all the controversy here. Do you have a prediction on what will happen to marijuana? I think the rule will stay exactly the way it is. Okay. What's your prediction? <laughs> I don't know. I'll probably be in the middle of it. So yeah. <laughs> I'll write whatever they tell me to write. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't see. I, I, I mean, since even in our own country, we don't have a majority view that marijuana ought to be 
uh, legalized. Um, I, I just don't see how we can make the case globally that the rule ought to change significantly. So let, let me ask you another sort of open-ended question. Um, as what, how many Olympics have you been to? A hundred? <laughs> That's, uh, this is my 11th. Okay. You're close. Every, every two years? Uh, yeah, exactly. Four years in the beginning. Yeah, every two years, my kids and my wife say, shoo, see ya. <laughs> um, my sense is that from the beginning, it was a who's winning the cops or the robbers in trying to catch athletes. Um, and in, in the early years, clearly the robbers were winning. What's your sense as to where we are today? My sense is that the cops have made some progress, but the robbers are still winning. Um, I, I, here's the way I usually tell this story, uh, gentlemen. Um, uh, I um, worked for the Los Angeles Times for 17 years, and the first eight of first first nine of those years, I covered hard news, and um, I, I did things like uh, you will remember the trial of Lyle and Eric Menendez, the the gentleman in yeah, yeah. Hills shot on their parents to death, and um, I mean I covered some really horrific crimes, right? And, and I'd like to think that when I came back to sports in 1998, that I I was what my journalism professors at Northwestern had told me. I was pretty skeptical of everyone and everything, right? Um, and, and so I came back to sports and Olympics, and, and I was chatting really early on with Jerry Longway of the New York Times. And, and he said to me, you, you, you know, they're all doping. And, and I said, no. I, I said, really? And a year later, he said, so? I, I said, uh, oh, they're all doping. And um, so I, I don't know if they're all doping, but uh, – I will tell you after sitting uh, in uh, uh, Tyler Hamilton's living room and having him tell me about uh, vanishing twins or listening to Marianne Jones and reading her book and bright red letters, I did not dope and having Lance Armstrong, you know, tell me uh, time and again that he did not dope and uh, so on and so forth. Oh, and then of course, uh, Rich, you and I will well remember uh, Floyd Landis uh, and everything that he uh, asserted. Uh, I, I'm pretty skeptical about uh, uh, this whole enterprise. <clears throat> uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, the percentage gains at very elite sport uh, are significant, one or two percent, and that's the difference between eighth place and a medal. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> uh, the risk and reward uh, dynamic or equation is um, – it is what uh, an elite athlete has to weigh. And typically uh, a very um, smart athlete or a good coach can manage that equation. And um, that's why I think these whereabouts cases are so significant um, because the AIU in particular has figured that out. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that a significant number of these people uh, are for sure tempted. Uh, if not tempted, they're doing something. There are very few people who I think are clean. I mean, I, I think Katie Ledecky, for one, is clean. I do. Uh, I, I think she's clean. Uh, I cannot say for 
uh, with, with great assurance that there are a lot of other people I know are clean. I, I would go to my grave thinking that Nathan Adrian, for one, was clean. Um, I think the cultures of certain programs are cleaner than others. I think the U.S. swim team is cleaner than others. But, you know, I wouldn't swear that everyone on the U.S. swim team is clean. So it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned four cases that I was personally involved with. And I think in the early days, uh, I would have agreed with you. You know, we hear from athletes after we catch them that you guys in the anti-doping cop side are making it so damn hard to dope successfully that it's almost not worth it. I mean, these are athletes, these are cyclists that are using variants of EPO. Um, what do you think? I mean, there is a lot of emphasis by WADA on others on the ethics of clean sport and that if we're really going to successfully fight doping, we need to have athletes truly believe that it is, if you dope, it's as bad as stealing mother money from your grandmother's purse. Um, do you think we're going to get anywhere with that? Or there are so many cultural differences that there are places and countries where, of course, you'd steal money from your grandmother's purse if you needed it. Um, I'm going to answer this. Uh, seriously rather than glibly, because my first response is to be glib. I, I think most people want to be good. But when you get to a certain level, I think the difference between winning and not winning is is very small physically and it, as the as we all understand what what performance enhancing substances do is it enables you to train harder and recover faster and, and that can make a big difference in your physical ability and then it's up to you mentally um, you know championship athletes are a different sort of breed of cat um, uh, we in the West, um, you know, if, if you grow up in kindergarten or grade school or middle school being raised, I'm, I'm generalizing here on, um, you know, mom, God, and apple pie and country, that, 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 that's a beautiful thing, we like to think. But, that, that's, that's, uh, those are cultural norms that, that may or may not apply around the world. Again, I'm generalizing. And, um, you know, the, uh, people at the top level of, of international sport, uh, often can be or simply are ruthless in their pursuit of winning. And, um, I think it's 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 a laudable goal to say that ethical uh, uh, pursuit of winning is is 
is valuable. Uh, I don't know how we instill that in, in a generation of clean athletes successfully. I, I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, I also go back to Alan, uh, going way back in the memory banks, but there was the survey by Sports Illustrated where they asked athletes, if you can take this pill, you will win a gold medal, but you'll be dead in five years. Would you take it? And I think maybe around 60% said they would take it. And that kind of underscores what you're talking about, that ruthlessness, the focus on winning above all else leads to that kind of decision. And it's not just, you know, um, those of us of a certain age grew up uh, uh, acculturated by our rivalry with the uh, Soviet Union and its satellite nations. And, and I think um, our, uh, the 21st century is going to see the same sort of rivalry with China. Uh, but um, it, it's not just that there's a, a good and bad as you know, that we're good and they're bad, you know, like, uh, like Rocky four with Ivan Drago or something, <laughs> you know, we, we cheat here too. We just, as I say all the time, we just cheat in a capitalistic way and, uh, we, we should not be under any, uh, illusion that we don't cheat. We, we cheat all the time. So one of the points that you made was that a lot of people, and I think it would be more true in some of the Western nations than some of the others, uh, really would like to play by the rules. But one of the things that caused Victor Conti to be so successful in his Balco doping program was his convincing his athletes that it's not cheating if everybody's doing it. And that was track and field in some of our professional sports. But when you look at cycling in the Lance Armstrong era, that was essentially his coach, Johan Brunil's case, when we brought that case to Cass. Uh, and it wasn't a successful defense, even though it is true. So I think we have at least... Uh, made some significant changes in wiping out the notion that everybody's cheating. You know, I don't think we'll ever be at a point where we say we can catch everybody. Um, do you, I'm not trying to be, uh, uh, challenging here, Rich, because, um, I mean, I think I'm knowledgeable, but I would defer to you, um, Considerably, do you, do you think we've made progress? I mean, I I, I think you know, I go back to um, you know what Mr. Armstrong uh, told Oprah. He, you know, uh, he said uh, everyone was doing it, and it was like putting uh, you know uh, uh, doping was like air, air in your tires, air yeah. in your tires, or water in your bottle. You know, and and. I, I, I think I can't say that I watched every stage of the tour that just ended, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain some of these physical performances. Um, I, I guess my, my answer is, yeah, I think we've made a lot of progress and I, I would base that on, uh, athletes who've said you've made it so hard on us. It isn't worth it. It's, the number of 
the way our laboratories have been able to detect ever more minute quantities. And the other thing that I think has been a major difference is the use of investigations in doping cases. You know, when we were both youngsters in this anti-doping world, uh, there were positive tests, and that's all we had. But if you look at Marion Jones or Lance Armstrong or the Russian investigation, um, those are all investigations that resulted in doping cases. Uh-huh. I think the thing that scares me the most is a repeat of state-directed doping like we discovered in Russia somewhere else. Well, you know, along those lines, let's let's turn to that that subject. You know, that's something that uh, continues to to have a big impact and looks like it will for some time to come. Alan, wh- how do you see that ending? When do you see the uh, the penalties on the Russians ending and and things getting back to the way they were? Uh, do, do I think that? Uh the penalties ending on the Russians and things getting back to the way they were is necessarily a bad thing or uh, a neutral thing. Is that what you're asking? Not really, but uh, I'll let you answer how you, <laughs> however you are. Well, this is a much, uh, it's a very complicated, uh, needless to say, it's a very complicated uh, uh, question and very complicated su- uh, subject. Um, this, this goes back to uh, what uh, we all learn in law school. What, what, what's the purpose of a sanction? Is it, is it to deter? Is it to punish? Is it to rehabilitate? Is there any rehabilitating uh, this, this state? Uh, um, look, um, I come at this from uh, the perspective of I start here, uh, and then maybe we can have a, an interesting conversation. Uh, uh, I, I think the Olympic Games uh, have to include the Russians. The, the Olympic Games are flawed and imperfect. We are all flawed and imperfect. And uh, but, but to have the uh, the the idea of the Olympic Games is to bring the peoples and especially the young people of the world together. Uh, because when we do that, we find out that we are more alike than we are different. And it's only by having that one-to-one contact that we can break down barriers and we can realize that uh, maybe Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago have something in common, uh, to go back to the caricatures. But that's the truth. That, that, uh, we don't need to be involved in a stereotypical caricature of each other. Uh, and, and that's the whole point of an Olympic Games. Um, and, and it's one of my concerns about these games, uh, in Tokyo, where, uh, I'm not sure what kind of, um, mingling the athletes are going to have in the village. So, um, uh, do I think the Russians need to be at the games? Yes. Uh, was there state sponsored doping? Uh, or state linked or state affiliated, whatever word we want to use here. Yes. Should there have been a sanction? Yes. What should that sanction have been? That's a very complicated question because to punish the athletes of now for something that happened in 2014, uh, 
is a very complicated uh, question. To punish summer sport athletes for something that happened at the Winter Games uh, is a further uh, complication. And not only that, uh, and I've maybe been the only journalist in the West who said this, I do not think that Grigory Rodchenkov is a good guy in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he's a liar and a cheat and a scoundrel in every way. Uh, not the hero that he's made out to be in Icarus. Uh, and so, uh, it's, it's very, very, very complicated and multi-layered. So how's that for an answer? This is a great answer. It's an honest answer. It's an accurate answer. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, I'll put it, put it another way. It's a great analysis. It's an accurate analysis. But what's the answer? What would you do? Yeah, I don't know, because the Russians are never going to admit how far up the chain uh, this went, even if we might suspect how far up it went. Um, they're just never going to do it, you know? Um and so that leaves us with with what what and 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 I've been also the only journalist in the West who said that each and every one of the individual Russians deserves due process, which they do. Um, uh, again, so <clears throat> excuse me. Um, do, uh, I think once the the penalty, the sanction, excuse me, has run its course, and I think we we all have to we we have to. Take a deep breath and say, "Okay, uh, you know, uh, let's move on." Are, are you worried at all about uh, this kind of state-directed doping occurring again in Russia or other countries? Sure. I mean, I, I think you'd have to be naive not to think that it might, or would, or could, or will happen again. Okay. And so I, for one, have that at pretty high up on the agenda of issues that the anti-doping movement needs to be mindful of. Would you agree with that? I would say it would be a very key action item. Okay, good. Well, this, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I, it's uh, really fun and interesting to talk about it with two people who are themselves so knowledgeable.